Today I want to speak on the topic of closure and the reason why I think the concept of closure is so important and I believe it's relevant for so many of us and particularly for me because a year from now I will actually be retiring as a professor at my university. So the theme of closure is very, very important. Now, when we use the term closure, we're assuming that our life is sort of a process. It's a journey. We talk about the chapters of our lives and that each chapter has to close before we open up a new chapter in our lives. And we know that our entire developmental process, you know, Eric Erickson talks about the psychosocial development of a human being from infancy to uh, childhood, adolescence, adulthood, and, and then reaching the middle age, and then the twilight years, and so forth. The whole thing is a process. Our life and life process itself is a journey. Now, having said that, our life is also broken into phases or stages. And for each phase or stage of our life, there is a beginning, there's an end. And so in each phase, we have to talk about closure as well before we can move on to the next phase. For example, our children entering into high school and uh, entering into junior high. That's a big, big phase for them. And so they have to wrap up everything that has happened previous to that and getting ready psychologically and sociologically and all that for the future phase. I, I want for us to read together from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 to 8. I've given you that in the PPT file. So let's look at this uh, passage together. Let's read this out loud together. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. It's such a matter-of-fact statement, but it's an amazing text of wisdom here. And I would just like to add to this, there's a time to begin anew, and there's a time to bring things to a closure. If you look at all these biblical heroes, we see that many of them, their lives are recorded in terms of stages or phases. And each time they come to the end of their phase, they had to really package everything up, put that aside, and now they have to really get ready to usher themselves into the whole new phase. We see the situation, for example, in the case of Abraham, that he 
had to basically leave his homeland in Uru. And uh, he had a, basically a pagan life, but for the first time he hears the voice of Yahweh calling him. And so he transfers from Uru to Haran. And even after he settled in Haran, Yahweh would speak to him and that he has to now enter into the foreign territory in the land of Canaan to basically claim the land that God is going to give him. And so he had to basically bring everything of his old pagan way, the familiar way, the ways of his forefathers, bring that to a closure so that he can travel with God into this new promise. And then he had to wait a long time before he actually received that promised child, Isaac. But when he did receive Isaac, or, or rather received the promise of Isaac, he was 75 years old at the time. And so uh, after he receives Isaac, he had to wait something like 25 years. At the age of 100, he finally has Isaac. And that means he has to settle everything that had happened in the past, including Ishmael. He had to basically let go of Ishmael, and he had to bring closure to that. So he finally receives his promised child, Isaac. A number of years later, God says, now we're going to enter into a whole new phase. Now I want you to sacrifice Isaac. I want to see whether you can really trust me in this and be willing to sacrifice Isaac. So that's a whole new closure that he had to go through. He thought he could really trust God. He thought God was going to prosper him. He thought God, with God on his side, you know, no enemies, no power of the enemies could possibly have effect upon him. But now he finds that God may be his own enemy. God may be basically sabotaging the future success of Abraham. But he had to trust the Lord regarding this issue. So there had to be a closure here as well. Now when we look at Moses, we see that his life was a series of closure, of one phase, moving on to the next phase, and so forth. He led 40 years of his life as a very privileged nobleman, as a prince of Egypt, but he had to bring that to a closure when he came to terms with his own Hebraic root. And uh, he thought his own people, the slave people living in Egypt, would trust him and rally to him. But actually, they end up betraying him. And so that brought a closure to his 40 years of life, which led him to the Median Desert, where now he lives like a nomad. He becomes a nobody for the next 40 years, just getting married, having family, living under the the supervision of his father-in-law Jethro. For 40 years, he's just, you know, tending the flock and leading a life of a nomad. But that comes to a closure at the end of the 40 years. And then God calls him into 40 years of fantastic ministry, delivering the people of Israel out of Egypt and then traversing all throughout the, the desert. And, and now he can pretty much see that 40 years he spent out in the Median Desert was to really understand the terrains of the land so that he could lead the Israel into the watering holes or, or places of shades or, or places where it's more in, enclosured uh, to protect them from the enemies. 
and so forth. So he spends 40 years of ministry like that. And at the end of that, God says, now I want you to bring things to closure because I want you to hand the baton over to Joshua, the next generation. So he does that exactly. We see in the life of David also a series of closure. He had to basically let go of those days of innocence as a shepherd boy living under the house of his father. And, and now he's going to be anointed by Samuel. And he's, he finds himself under the favor of King Saul. And he becomes King Saul's own son-in-law. That's the closure from life of just a plain shepherd boy to becoming a nobleman, becoming the son-in-law of a king. But then everything changes. King Saul has a psychotic episode and he sees David as a threat to his throne. And, and so he decides to kill David. And so David is on a run. Now he's a host fugitive. He's running away from Saul's threat. And so that's the next phase. But that comes to a closure when everyone acknowledges him as the king after the death of King Saul and so forth. And so now he enters into this glorious season of kingship. But that comes to a closure as he falls into temptation, committing adultery, committing murder. And as a result of that, all hell breaks loose in his life. And later he's not able to constraint his own sons, and there's a rebellion at hand, and, and you know the story. David did not end too well in his life, in the latter part of his life. But there was a redemption for David through Solomon. So in a way, at his old age, as he has all of these curses that have come upon his family, he's trying to redeem his situation by preparing for the building of the temple through his son Solomon. So he prepares for all that and he ends his life uh, on that note. When we get to the New Testament, we see the premier example of Jesus. We see Jesus also going through these phases. We know that exactly at the age of 12, that's usually the age of Bar Mitzvah. Technically speaking, he's 13 years old for Bar Mitzvah and Bat Mitzvah for 12-year-old for girls. But Jesus, at the age of 12, has entered into now a phase in his life in which he becomes what is known as the son of the law. Now he is going to be able to stand along with grown-ups and be able to participate in synagogue worship and study of the law and so forth. So he's becoming a man. And so that phase of childhood ends. Now he's a working man. He's a family man. He's a carpenter. He's taking care of his mother Mary and the siblings after the death of uh, Joseph. And then that phase comes to an end. We, we know that in Luke chapter 3, there's a particular statement that says, Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. That text itself is very clearly delineating the fact that Jesus is now come to closure regarding everything that happened before. Now he's officially entering into ministry. And so we also see even in his ministry, short three years of ministry, that he was traveling from one region to another. We, we see the whole segment of history uh, there in Galilee. And then we see him 
primarily focusing upon Judea, and in the last week of his life, focusing upon Jerusalem and so forth. And so we see that he has to bring closure to each of these segments of his life. And then, of course, he brought everything to a closure there on the cross, dying on the cross, because that was his mission, to die the redemptive death on behalf of all of us. So he died on the cross. But you know, his history is not over yet. I don't know if you know that his incarnate history is not over. He did not come in the flesh and go through all that, die on the cross, and then poof, he's out of there, and he's out of his body, and he's in the spirit state or the divine state. No, he's still in the state of the body. So he's waiting to come back again. So that major chapter of his return is yet to be seen and so forth. But what we learn from Jesus' life is that when he talks about discipleship, he talks about discipleship in terms of dying and living. That we must be crucified with him so that we may experience the resurrection life in him. And so we see that in order for us to bring things to a closure, it's kind of like a death experience. I've been thinking about Anna and uh, uh, Ira and Rena, and especially Rena, because now, wow, she's going into high school. That's like, that's a jungle out there, you know? And uh, boy, I, I was wondering what's going through this little girl's mind, you know? And I, I actually interviewed her a few days ago, and uh, I wanted to know what was in her mind. She didn't really know what she was getting into. She's heard about it. It's like, yes, we have this myth, we have this notion about the future of being a a teenager and, and becoming a high schooler and all that. I don't know what it's like, but I'm telling you, you know, she's entering into a major phase in her life. And so that means, to a degree, she's now dying to her childhood. And she has to kind of let go of that. She can't continue acting like a, a you know, preteen kid. Now she has to enter into you know, the teenage years, and so she has a lot of things that, a lot of challenges ahead of her. The text I thought that would be very appropriate for this message and closure is uh, found in Joshua chapter 1, verse 2. I think it's very succinct, and I, I think it's so rich with imagery that uh, when I, every time I read this, uh, it just really strikes a chord in my spirit. And especially as I'm looking forward to retirement and as I'm looking for the whole new phase of life in the mid-60s, which I, I never imagined that I would end up at this point, this late in my life. And now I have to kind of settle everything, repackage everything, and prepare for my twilight years, uh, maybe two more decades or so, that God would grant unto me. But this is a very meaningful text personally for me, and I hope this will be for you too. Joshua chapter 1, verse 2. The Lord says to Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. Moses, my servant, is dead. Wow, that's like, that's a very heavy word. But all pastors, all leaders 
who are preparing for retirement, and I know some others who are preparing for their retirements as well, I think this text would speak volumes to us. Because we feel like we are dying in a way. And all that is of youth in our 20s and 30s and 40s, 50s is all gone. And now, in our 60s, what do we have to look forward to? So we are along with Moses. We are dead to all of that. And now God's speaking to Joshua here. Joshua, now you're going to receive that mantle. You're going to receive that baton. Now you're the one who's going to run. Forget about Moses now. It's you. My favor is upon you. So now if it's technically true that we, the older generation, are going to be sort of like brushed aside and God's going to just raise up a whole new generation, then it would, be, it would be really relevant for me. Except, of course, for my, my own kids. And of course, for my disciples and anyone who's going to be spiritual descendants of mine, it would be relevant. But in general, if I really feel like I'm Moses and rest of you guys are like Joshua, then it may not really be relevant to me. But that's not the way I read this text. I see that I am Moses, but I'm also Joshua. You see what I'm saying? And now what is the Moses side that has to die, that has to be buried, that has to be left behind? so that I can carry on the legacy like Joshua did? What would be that Joshua mentality that I have to embrace? This is the question that I have in mind, and I hope this will be relevant for you as well. So you see, in Joshua's case, he also embraced Moses' ideas. For past 40 years, he's been faithful following Moses. They've been doing the old thing meandering through the wilderness, the Midian wilderness, for 38 years. And so they have certain routines, certain rituals, certain habits and behaviors, certain mindsets. But now it's a whole new ball game. Once you cross over Jordan, because you're going to have these hostile nations surrounding you constantly, and you're not going to have the luxury of just, you know, eating manna that was dropped from heaven or, you know, choirs just landing right, you know, in your doorstep. You're not going to have that kind of luxury anymore. Now you're going to have to fight for it. You're going to have to plant for it. You have to, you know, raise the crops on your own. You have to till the land. You have to live off of the land. So Joshua himself had to be shedded of all the mosaic way of thinking. He had to let go of all of that. And now he has to carve out a whole new path for his generation or the next generation. And it's interesting, even after they crossed over Jordan, one of the first things God told them at the region called Gilgal was to circumcise the Israelites. You see, for 40 years, the Israelites meandering out in the wilderness, they, they didn't circumcise their ch children. So Joshua was commanded by God now circumcise them before they enter in. So that act of circumcision at Gilgal is a sign of dealing away with all the unresolved past. All the things of past memories and past ways in the Egypt, in the wilderness, 
and all that has to be laid aside because now they have to think afresh. They have to think militantly. They have to think valiantly. Now we're going to finally tackle this project that God has given to our people. We have to claim this land for the kingdom. And I believe that this text that we just read is so much related to the New Testament text that's oftentimes read during the New, New Year's or the end of the year message. And that is Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. I think you're very familiar with this. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Forgetting what is past. Now what does it mean to forget what has happened in the past? To regard that as meaningless, useless, waste of time? Did all these years in the past, in my own life, was that just a waste? I'm supposed to just forget all that? Or maybe what Paul is saying here is that we need to have already done the project of processing these thoughts, having learned the lessons, both from our successes and failures, and really having that deposit now in our soul, we carry that with us so that we don't have to constantly go and regurgitate that and redeal with that. And besides, letting go of some of these baggages, heavy loads, heavy burdens, the things that we should not carry into our future, these things have to be dealt with. There's another text very similar like this. It's found in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Throwing off everything that hinders. So the question that we need to ask is, regarding our past, is there anything that would hold me back from entering into the new season in my life? What would that be? The old way of thinking? Old habits? Old sins? Our passivity? Our laziness? Our apathy? Whatever that may be, if that's going to hinder us, then we must deal with them right now. We must cut them off like the Israelites, circumcising the whole new generation of men so that they can valiantly enter into that promised land and start claiming that land for the kingdom. And so regarding this way of closure, I want to give you three words, just three words of advice that uh, I would give to practically anybody, including myself. And that is, first of all, we need to learn to let go. So many people hold on to the past. Uh, because of sentimentality, because of memories. We, we got all these memories we're holding on. And you know, they seem so real when we go back, when we look at our diaries, our journal, or when you look at our history, the mapping out of our lives. And I have tons of that myself. 
I have all these prophecies from the past, all these writings that I have left behind, and, and even my, you know, thesis that I have written. Just recently, I just finished the book, but even that has to be a part of the past if I'm going to continue writing fresh new books. But you see how we tend to hold on to these things. And these are like trophies sometimes. The honor that I have received. The victories I have experienced. The great signs and wonders ministries in the days past. And great commendations that I have received from people. And you know, even nowadays, sometimes people call me up and tell me how much they appreciate the fact that 20, 30 years ago, I was involved in their lives and that I, I ministered to them and it had great effects upon them. Okay, all those memories are great, you know. But those things have to be done with now if I'm going to start the whole new chapter in my life. So we have to learn to let go. And then, of course, for some people, it's letting go of our failures, our stupidity, our mistakes of the past, our waste of time. And I know there are some people who really feel burdened by that. They feel like they failed. They, they got nothing to show forth. So how can they have a future when they didn't really have much of a past? But that has to be let go as well. Yesterday's mistakes doesn't have to affect your future destiny if you know how to let go and deal with that before the Lord. Because God is in the business of redemption. He will always be willing to give chance to anybody who's willing to go afresh with the Lord. So, first thing we need to do is learn to let go. And then some of us, I think we need to learn to let go of our comfort zones. And, you know, for the past two years, with COVID-19 and all, this has, in a mysterious way, has become a comfort zone for so many of us. I have to admit, too, is I'm becoming really comfortable not meeting people anymore. You know, not having to hassle with a lot of crowds, you know. Just all I have to do is just, you know, just present my message or, or teachings or, or interviews through the screen. And we can do just fine in so many ways. But am I willing to come out of my comfort zone to really engage in the future ministry? That's the question that I have to ask. And that's the question that you have to ask as well. Second thing that I would recommend that you do, and I also do, is to clean up our acts. It's like spring cleaning. We need to clean up everything and restructure everything. Minimize things, simplify things, integrate things, so that we don't just double up the load and the burdens. Throw away some of those old baggages and luggages. And make sure that we patch up the loose ends. That's very important too. In relationship. In business. In, in our duties and requirements. Certain things that others will be expecting us to do, but we have left them undone. This undone, businesses have to be done with. And we need to fix them up. And I know before I got married, Jamie, I don't know whether you've had a chance to do that. Brother David, he would have a chance to do that before his marriage. But I wanted to settle everything about my past before I would marry this uh, wonderful woman that God has 
granted to me. I didn't know that I would meet Esther like this, but at the end of my four years of really settling everything in the past, you know, past relationships, past way of thinking, you know, past way of uh, being um, more, more being uh, discriminating of women, not showing respect to women. I had to settle all of these issues as much as possible. And then at the end of four years of that processing, God gives me a wonderful gift through a woman named Esther who entered into my life. And, and I believe that there was something that God was doing in that time. Bringing to a closure doesn't mean just, man, where's that woman in my life? Where is she? And I just pray and I hope that, you know, good fortune drops on my lap. No, it's, it's a time of preparation, heavy preparation, so that when this woman shows up, that I'll be ready, that I'll be qualified, that we can have a, a winning chance at marriage. And we do the same thing when we're about to sell a house, you know, if you, if you have a house that you've been fixing up and now you want to sell the house, at the last minute, you better make sure that everything is really in place. And that's the whole thing about closure. You know, once you do that and you go through the whole escrow process where they really check to see whether your finance is in place and whether their finance is in place and you go through the whole process of checking things out, then you strike up a deal. And so everything in our life is like that too. We, we need to clean up our mess. We need to fix things up. We need to have everything prepared for the next phase of our life. And then the final word that I would like to give you is this. We need to really come to an understanding of what our past years have been all about. The small segment of last year or, or maybe the past 10 years. 10, 11 uh, years that, that I, I've been out here in Korea. What was that all about? And I, I'm going through that process right now, actually really thinking through all that. Processing, understanding, integrating, so that you will have an understanding, a sort of a trajectory, a sort of a vector, a sort of a beacon that will shine into my future. I want to come to that understanding. But you cannot come to that understanding unless you're a thinking person. Unless you think about these things, you process things, you, you have deep source search about things, and you are critical about what has happened so that you can make amends, so that you can make changes. But if we are willing to go through that process, I believe that God will show us very clearly what we need to do, and we'll have a great sense of future hope about what God has in store for us. So I would like for us to spend uh, maybe this week or next few weeks just on this text, Joshua chapter 1, verse 2. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, Joshua, I want you to get ready with all these people to cross over the Jordan River because I'm about to give you this land that I have promised to your forefathers. And who is Moses? Who is Joshua? I am. You are. We are both Moses and Joshua. So, which aspect of the Mosaic generation we need to let go of so that we can be part of that Joshua generation that's going to actually 
take the land for the kingdom. Amen? So this is the message that I'd like to present to you at the very beginning of our coming together in this new year. And uh, by next week, I think we can come together at the studio. And we'll, we'll be able to be able to fellowship live. Okay, let's pray.